You know, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting uh, observation, I think, that, uh, that for most of us, uh, that if, uh, if you grew up uh, going to uh, a synagogue, uh, grew up Jewish, uh, observing uh, Yom Kippur, that uh, uh, while you were growing up, or I'll just say uh, before you uh, uh, knew the Messiah, you knew very little about the holiday, right? It's an irony, isn't it, that after you come to faith in the Messiah, you learn all about the holiday and understand, uh, you know, its real meaning. And, uh, and I don't mean like some kind of Christian meaning. I, I mean like the real Jewish meaning of it. Uh, from the uh, from the Tanakh and and even from the rabbis and and uh, uh, and the desire you know to return to God. Let's face it, you know when we're growing up uh, and we're observing Yom Kippur, there's only one thing we're thinking about: when is the fast over? <laughs> right? Uh, you know that's the day we don't eat, right? And that's the day that seems to last forever, right? And of course, growing up, it was the day when it seemed like, for me anyway, like real secret stuff was going on in the main sanctuary. You know, it was like really heavy, really, uh, real serious uh, stuff, and, and it took forever. And uh, after our junior congregation uh, was done, when our service was done, we'd be hanging around you know, waiting, uh, waiting for one of our parents to take us home and give us lunch when we were real, when we were real little. When we got to be teenagers, then, then we fasted, you know, after our bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs. Uh, but when we were little, my, you know, I can still picture my mom or my aunt making us lunch and really not appreciating the fact that, uh, you know, she was fasting. But then when we were teenagers, uh, you know, then, then we would fast. But it was still waiting for that fast, uh, waiting for that fast to be over. But you know, when we uh, when we come to know Messiah, now uh, these holidays are filled up, filled up with meaning, filled up with with Yeshua, filled up with uh, with knowing uh, with knowing the Lord. And so when we talk about Yom Kippur. We know that Yom Kippur is about a lot more than uh, a lot more than fasting, right? Yom Kippur is about restoration. It's about being reconciled to God. Uh, whether we're talking about the Bible uh, or the instruction for the day of well, the instruction for the day of atonement in the Bible, in uh, you know, in Vayikra, in Leviticus chapter sixteen. Or we're talking about uh, uh, Judaism and the understanding of the High Holy Days in the rabbinic literature, uh, as the rabbis teach. Or we're talking about its meaning uh, prophetically, you know, of the future. Or of the New Covenant understanding of Yeshua being our atonement. It's all about restoration, reconciliation and uh, restoration. In fact, in your bulletin, have a nice little... uh, explanation here. It says, Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. It is the day when we are traditionally reconciled and restored to God through heartfelt confession. As a Messianic Jewish community, we experience reconciliation and restoration through the atoning death and resurrection of Messiah Yeshua. But since we are far from perfect, we take this day for self-evaluation, fasting, 
and to confess our sins. It is also a day to rejoice in the assurance of acceptance before God in the Messiah and as a day to intercede for those whom we love. And, you know, and by the way, this is another uh, greeting that we say to each other on, uh, on Yom Kippur, to an easy fast. That's what we often will, will say. And of course, you know, in Leviticus chapter 16, for it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you you will be clean from your sins before the Lord. Then we have David's confession. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Then from 1 John 1.9, perhaps uh, in John's mind thinking a little bit about that uh, Yom Kippur passage, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, you know, in this, we see two things happening. We have a responsibility, and then God is the one who makes the atonement. God is the one who brings the restoration. We don't restore ourselves. I, we don't uh, atone for our own sins. We don't uh, make our own reconciliation. Uh, and that's why this uh, idea of journey is uh, so important, Right? We move from repentance to restoration. On, uh, on uh, Rosh Hashanah is the wake-up call. And actually, technically, I mean, we could uh, have a nice discussion about the entire month of Elul uh, being a wake-up call in and of itself. But anyway, on Rosh Hashanah, we have this wake-up call. This call to remember what's going on. Get clarity. Wake up, Right? Uh, and we talked about uh, repentance, about turning to God. We, we talked uh, all, all about that, right? But when we come to uh, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur really is about God. Or we could say, in, in a way, that Rosh Hashanah is about us, but that Yom Kippur is about God. We're the ones who are called to turn to God. We have to turn to God. Right now, we could discuss all about how God convicts us and you know and, and brings us to that turning place, but I'm just talking on the ground, I'm just talking about the way we experience life. Right? We repent, we turn to God, and really, in a way, the difference you could reduce in a way the difference between being uh, experiencing Yom Kippur as a Messiah follower. Uh, uh, as opposed to not recognizing Yeshua as the Messiah, is that when we repent as Messiah followers, we have an explicit assurance of the forgiveness of sins. We're no better. Listen, if you've been around the block and, and you know plenty of people who know the Lord, or at least claim to, and people that don't, who are decent human beings, you know uh, that we're no better oftentimes in our um, daily activities, but there's an assurance of the forgiveness of sins. Whereas the reason that, for example, the uh, Kol Nidre prayer and Avinu Malkenu sound uh, like a lament, I, so th therefore, I, you know, we turn to God on Yom Kippur, uh, God responds, basically. And that's 
uh, in a way, how these, holidays, how these holidays work. For example, if you look in your Bible in Leviticus chapter 16, at the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 29, this is after it gives all of the details. It says, And this shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls and do not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. But it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you. To cleanse you, uh, you shall be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel, for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord has commanded Moses, so he did. I just want to point out, at least tonight, tomorrow we'll talk more about things in this passage, but I just wanted to point out tonight that we don't make atonement. Notice atonement is made for us. Atonement is made, uh, is made for us. Atonement is an act of conciliation. It is the, the act that takes place for reconciliation uh, to happen. It's the mediation. It's, uh, it's how atonement, it, it is how we become uh, right, uh, right with God. God provides, this is a wonderful thing, God provides a way back that when we stray, when we sin, when we miss the mark, God provides a way back. The way back is uh, Yom Kippur and the entire sacrificial system, okay? Not only on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur served more as Israel's national day of atonement. It didn't mean that there was no other time when people could bring the animal, you know, uh, for the sacrifice. But the national day of atonement, one might say, was uh, on, uh, was on uh, Yom Kippur. Now, I've been uh, mentioning the word reconcile, reconciliation, right? Interestingly enough, there is really no Hebrew word in the Bible for reconciliation. It's kind of interesting. The best we can do are synonyms for reconciliation, like restore or perhaps being forgiven, you know, uh, uh, words uh, like that. On Yom Kippur, we're forgiven because atonement has been made. And the result of the forgiveness is that we are once again in a right relationship with God. Uh, again, we are reconciled to, uh, to God. But reconciliation, even though we don't read that word uh, in the Tanakh, is still a great word for uh, what, Yom Kippur, uh, what Yom Kippur is. I looked it up in the dictionary, uh, and uh, I... A basic, not, not a Bible dictionary, just like your typical Webster's dictionary. The act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or disagreement. Uh, another, uh, an, another definition, the exchange of hostility for friendly relationship. I like that. I mean, I like the concept. You know, it's great not to be hostile 
with other people. It's great not to have enmity. It's great not to have a grudge. It's great to be uh, in a good relationship uh, with, uh, you know, with other people. Well, you know, it's, this, it, it, it's the very same thing uh, with, uh, with God. That it is, it is wonderful to be reconciled to God. Unfortunately, I think for many people, for many people, their whole life is spent, and maybe you feel this way sometimes, the whole life is spent being afraid of God because we've disappointed him. Or he's mad at us that I, I, I just can't measure up. And you know, the real sad thing is, is that we may think that in our general understanding about God when we don't really know the Lord, but the sad thing is, is that oftentimes that's what gets communicated by people that are teaching the new covenant. That we get so beat down that we feel that, especially now that I know the Lord, I'm totally messed up because now I'm supposed to be holy and I have no excuse whatsoever. And so there really is no hope for me. You know, before I knew the Lord, the hope was coming to know the Messiah. Now that I know the Messiah, I've ruined the whole thing. You know, I've messed it up completely. And that really is, uh, you know, so unfortunate. So unfortunate. And hopefully we'll be healed of that, you know, as we understand Yom Kippur. Uh, as we understand Yom Kippur here. So like I said, in Hebrew, there is no good word for reconcile, even though it's a great word. Uh, but perhaps restored, being restored is, uh, is a synonym. And it really is a synonym. Even in what I wrote in the, um, what I wrote in the bulletin, reconciled and restored. Really, restored you know, is emphasizing reconciled uh, there. There isn't really much of a difference uh, there. Uh, and so it's interesting, though. There's some, something very interesting about the Hebrew word for restore. You read the word restore, by the way, in your English Bible, in lots of places, right? For example, uh, in Psalm 80. Psalm 80 is a good one. and Also, Psalm 85. Uh, in uh, Psalm 80, we read in verse 3, O God, restore us and cause thy name to shine upon us, and we will be saved. By the way, when it says, and cause thy face to shine upon us, it tells you just how uh, meaningful the Aaronic benediction uh, is, in the history of, uh, is, is in the history of Israel. It's taking a little part of uh, the Aaronic benediction and putting it in a variety of different places. Anyway, it says, O oh God, restore us. Bring us back to yourself. Restore us. Reconcile us to yourself. Restore the relationship. Restore us to yourself. In Psalm 85, O Lord, thou didst show favor to, the, to thy land. Thou didst restore the captivity of Jacob. Thou didst forgive the iniquity of thy people. Thou didst cover all their sins. Thou didst withdraw, did withdraw all thy fury. Thou didst turn away from thy burning anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine indignation toward us to cease. In other words, don't be mad at us. Fix the relationship, Lord. Bring us back to yourselves, to, uh, to yourself. And so uh, uh, certainly it's a, uh, you know, a very good word uh, uh, for reconciliation. Now what's interesting though about it in Hebrew, it's the same word as return or repent, shuv. It's the same word. But 
when the cry is, Lord, restore us, or when we read in a variety of places, I will restore you, it's written in such a way that it doesn't mean that God repents or that God turns or that God changes his mind, but it, it, the, the sense of it is, uh, is uh, Lord, you bring us back. You turn us around. Lord, you cause us to be returned. And when we read God, when God says, I will restore you, uh, it doesn't mean that he's saying, I will repent, but I will bring you back. I will bring you back. And we see throughout the Hebrew Bible, especially in the prophets, uh, you know, if you seek me, I will be found. If you turn to me, I will restore you. In a way, in Hebrew, it's great poetry. You know, if you shuv, I will shuv. You know, but it's written, I, uh, uh, it's a causative in Hebrew, right? God is saying, I will, I will cause you to be returned. I will cause you to be restored. So it, the way it's written is a little bit different. But it's interesting that it's sort of like two sides of the coin. That when we turn to God, God brings us back. It's not like his back is turned to us and then he turns around. No. He's always standing there with open arms. But when he, but when we have a desire that begins with our will to return to God, absolutely sincerely, in Messiah, he brings us back. No doubt. Not maybe. He brings us back. He indeed does restore us uh, in, uh, you know, in the Messiah. Uh, and so, uh, how important it is for us to understand that on Yom Kippur, God brings us back. God restores us. God reconciles us uh, uh, to, uh, to himself. Okay? So the atonement, like on Yom Kippur, or we could call it the process of restoration, uh, which brings reconciliation, it certainly, you know, it took place first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. But it is very interesting that in these psalms, the, the psalmist is crying out to God directly, you know, restore us. Yes, there was the process of the sacrifices. But it's interesting, the psalms are written by godly people. You know, by the way, that's very important to remember. The psalms are written by godly people. That means there are all kinds of psalms. There are psalms when people are sad. There are psalms when people are angry. There are psalms, they're called imprecatory psalms. And those are the psalms that say, Lord, destroy my enemies, right? It's very interesting that they're all they're not written by uh, people that are out of fellowship with God, okay? And the reason I say that is, is that when you are experiencing some emotion that lines up with some of these psalms, I say, make that psalm your own and pray it. Because anything written in the psalms, you're not, don't worry, you know, it's not like you're hurting God's feelings when you pray the words of a psalm as your own. And it has a great cleansing uh, effect. Because sometimes we feel in such a way uh, that we don't know how to pray because it might be inappropriate, right? 
Of course, there is no such thing as an inappropriate prayer. If it's really coming from your heart and you love the Lord and you don't understand things and you're frustrated, God can take it, you know? But I will say, if you're looking for words, here they are. Great words that, that uh, we can resonate with, you know? When we're down, when we're sad, when we're happy, when we're joyful, no matter what it is, disappointed, right? There are many. So it's interesting that in Psalm 80 and in Psalm 85, you have here uh, the psalmist saying, Lord, restore us, restore us. Now, of course, again, now that the Messiah has come, we uh, live in a little bit of a different economy with God, you know? Uh, that, that's why, for example, you know, in Psalm 51, uh, when it says, Lord, do not remove your Holy Spirit from us. We say that because oftentimes we feel very guilty and we're in the process of, of repenting and being restored. But, but of course, an assurance that we have is that the Ruach will not leave us because Yeshua will not leave us or forsake us. And when we pray a prayer, Lord, restore me, that's a good prayer. But remember that we no longer live in a world of sacrifices and temples. God has provided the way back, not in the surrogate priest, but rather through the one priest who is the king, and that is, of course, is Yeshua. So when we, uh, you know, when we go back to Leviticus 16, and I'm not going to take the time to read the whole thing here. It's our Torah reading for tomorrow. We'll talk a little bit more about it tomorrow. But Yeshua is the scapegoat. Yeshua is the one that takes, he takes our sins upon himself. Yeshua is the sacrifice. He is the one uh, that takes the judgment uh, for our sins. Uh, and, uh, and he's also, by the way, the guilt offering. Uh, and so when we repent and we turn to God, we are cleansed and God stands there with open arms and receives us back and we are reconciled to God. So what a great holiday this is. Because at the end of Yom Kippur, if we have been uh, moving forward from Rosh Hashanah, we celebrate reconciliation, you know? Uh, a real transaction uh, uh, takes place. Now, in the bulletin, you'll notice, you know, everything is intentional. I use the word traditionally reconciled, right? Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. It is the day when we are traditionally reconciled. What I mean by that is, is that outside of Messiah, Yeshua, there really is not the reconciliation, but the holiday represents that reconciliation. So traditionally, it is the day of reconciliation. We are brought back to God and reconciled in the Messiah. Very important for us to, to remember. And, uh, and that is why on this day we intercede for people. Because being traditionally reconciled uh, doesn't compare to the real thing. Uh, you know, of knowing the Messiah and experiencing a new personal relationship with God. You know, just last night, uh, we had a late night meeting with some folks, and one of our elders uh, shared a great little personal testimony of growing up, uh, going to the synagogue, going to temple, going to shul, you know, uh, uh, and saying the prayers and believing that God is there and, and all of that. Uh, but it wasn't until knowing the Messiah 
that there was, wow, a personal relationship, being personally reconciled. Now, you may wonder, let's see, if there's four elders and, and uh, growing up in a synagogue and it's not me, okay. So uh, anyway, it was a great testimony. It was a great testimony of, recon- of what reconciliation is, as opposed to traditional reconciliation. Traditional reconciliation is, I fast on Yom Kippur, I go to the services, I say all the right prayers, I do all the right things, I believe in God, I believe he's there, you know, uh, that's traditional reconciliation. Real reconciliation is encountering Yeshua, encountering not, again, a surrogate, whether it be the rabbi uh, or in the Bible, of course, there is no uh, priest anymore, uh, there is no sacrifice. And uh, uh, teshuvah, uh, it's, it's not enough to simply uh, say I'm sorry or repent uh, or do tzedakah, uh, you know, follow the commandments, do Torah and forgive people. That is all really good, but it does take the transaction that can only come uh, from uh, the Messiah that gives us real reconciliation. Uh, the blood of the Lamb, the, the blood of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah. And it's very interesting because in the Brit Hadashah, in the New Covenant, we do read about being reconciled, but you'd be surprised. We don't read about it everywhere. The word reconciled is only used in the Brit Hadashah in some very specific places. And all by one person, okay, that would be Rav Shaul, that would be by Paul. He's the only one who uses that, that word. Uh, and it, it, was, it really tells you something about him and about how he understood his calling and his mission of bringing the good news to, to people. In fact, uh, he's, he's so focused on uh, the concept of reconciliation that he refers to his ministry as a ministry of reconciliation. That's what he calls it. That's what he calls what he does. A ministry of reconciliation, of restoring people to God, you know, being the messenger uh, of Yeshua uh, and bringing this uh, restoration. So let's look at a few of these uh, reconciled passages for just a, just a quick moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Now if all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through, Yesh- through Messiah, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Messiah, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Messiah, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Messiah, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Well, there's a lot there. But for us, the point is, is that when we embrace Yeshua, we are indeed reconciled uh, to God. And you know, when you're reconciled to someone, it's a great, it's a great feeling of oneness, you know, uh, of, of, of unity. And so how important is it for us to recognize and remember on Yom Kippur that in Messiah's death and subsequent resurrection, we are 
and we are reconciled to God. There is no longer any enmity between ourselves, uh, between ourselves uh, and a God, right? I, uh, you know, fasting is a demonstration of this sense of uh, my focus is on God. Uh, a demonstration of intentionally seeking to experience once again uh, uh, this sense of being reconciled to God, of, uh, of moving toward God and recognizing that he, uh, he brings us back. He brings us back. Now, we might say, well, when I received the Lord into my life, okay, I was reconciled to God. But, you know, just like, again, like I wrote in the bulletin there, that uh, because we are not perfect, we constantly, when we're reconciled to someone, when you're reconciled to someone, and you continue to do things against them, there's a real problem there, isn't there? We need, when we are reconciled to God, yes, judiciously we are reconciled to him. Our position is reconciled. However, if we really want to be filled up with God and live for him, we constantly need to be confessing our sins so that we can experience, always experience that reconciliation. So, you know, a little illustration of this is um, the kind of reconciliation uh, in a way that Yeshua talks about a lot. And that is, uh, you know, all of us, uh, although it might be online now, a lot of it, but Work with me, okay? Uh, and that is, some of you remember uh, the concept of a physical checkbook, right? Back in history, it's so 20th century, right? Right? Uh, and so, you know, what we call when you, when you get your bank statement and you, uh, and you look in your checkbook, we call that reconciling, right? Reconciling our checkbook to the statement, Right? So what happens when uh, our checkbook uh, is not reconciling properly to the statement? Usually because we're short, okay? And remember, the bank is never wrong, all right? I like to think it is, but you know how it goes, right? Okay, so that means that we live in a constant state of no money. Now, we might write all kinds of checks, right? Woo-wee, you know? But eventually, those checks start bouncing, right? You can write all the checks you want, but with no money, it's going to come back to get you. So it is in our life. Because of the debt of sin, or sin, we could call it debt or sin, our lives are not reconciled to God. We might be writing all kinds of checks, checks of praise the Lord, or checks of, uh, oh, I'll volunteer, or uh, checks of I'll pray for you, all kinds. We might be writing them right and left, but empty, but completely empty, completely a, an empty shell writing big, big fat checks. You can only do it for so long. What ends up happening is we're bankrupt. Something will happen. But imagine that the bank says to you, going back to our little illustration, no matter what, 
I will make sure that there's enough in the account so that you do not become bankrupt. Wow, that's pretty good. All you have to do is watch what you spend, you know, be a good steward. And if you write, a, if you overextend yourself, you got to tell me. You got to tell me. But I assure you that I will make it right. But if you continue to write bad checks and you don't really care uh, and you don't tell me, I won't prosecute you, but you will have to suffer the consequences uh, in your life of, of being penniless, of having nothing. But, you know, we'd have to wonder if you continue to write bad checks, if you really are trusting me, if you really, you know, if you really uh, have, uh, if you're really sincere in coming to me. And so, in our own lives, that's a great, I think that is a great example that God says, I've provided for you in the Messiah. In Yeshua, I have provided for you. Okay? Uh, and so, therefore, uh, you be good stewards of your life. Live well. Live intentionally. Be aware of uh, your morals and ethics and what you're thinking and what you're looking at and, and all of that. But when you mess up, just come to me. Pshew. And I'm making it right. That is what real reconciliation, you see, is. On our own, even as Messiah followers, on our own, it, it will never be reconciled. We can't pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and make it right. We can't read a good book and make it right. The only way we make it right is directly returning to God and knowing that he does indeed reconcile us. He does indeed restore us. You know, Yeshua, in finishing up here, Yeshua tells a great story about this. It's in Matthew chapter 18. He was such a good storyteller. In Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. By the way, did you wonder to yourself, you know, Howard seemed really familiar with this whole bank thing. Anyway, never mind. All right. In verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? In other words, like that's a lot. Yeshua said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, which was a euphemism, uh, for all the time, for always. That's so out of line with anything we might think, isn't it? For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. See, just like the bank, right? This is not like an example. He forgave him, forgave him the debt. But that slave, rather than being thankful, went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, 
They were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave, even as I have had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And so first we see this great act of being reconciled, of, uh, of reconciliation. But yeah, what Yeshua is doing is he's making a point. Okay? His point is, if you have been forgiven, you must forgive others. It's not an option. See, what you learn from Yeshua here is not, oh no, what if I don't forgive somebody? Am I lost forever? That's not how we're supposed to respond to this. How we respond to this is, man, I need to be a 100 percenter. Wow, I am reconciled to God. I am forgiven. I must forgive others. That's the fruit of this, of this, uh, of this reconciliation. But first, we must really know we're reconciled. If you have embraced Messiah Yeshua, you are indeed reconciled to God. The debt has been paid. You have been forgiven. And now the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart via the Ruach, and it should be natural for us to forgive others. You know, in Hebrew, uh, remember what I said this time of year? Uh, uh, we look inward in ourselves, cheshbon hanefesh, right? Uh, we take account of our, uh, of our uh, inward being, our account of our soul, our nefesh. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we bankrupt? Are we, are we, uh, is there a deficit there? Even as a Messiah follower, there can be a deficit in our walk with God. This is a great time to say, Lord, I want you. Again, that's why we fast, to intentionally focus on God. I want you, and I will tell you for sure, just like Paul said, be reconciled to God. He was saying it to a body of Messiah. He was saying it to believers. Be reconciled to God, and when you are reconciled with God, you will not be able to wait to forgive someone because it just oozes out of you. You know, in modern Hebrew, cheshbon is a very interesting word. If you ever uh, go to Israel and you go to a restaurant... You will at some point say, Cheshbon uh, Shali Bavakasha. That's, uh, can I have my check, please? Okay. Cheshbon uh, is check, or the bill. That's what the word Cheshbon is in modern Hebrew. So, of course, if you're someone like me, you get the bill, and then you say, Uh oh, Aimli Kesef, right? Which means, I have no money, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so, uh, again, that's how we come to God. But isn't it great that with the Lord, he says, no worries. It's paid in full by Yeshua, the Messiah. Paid in full. Boy, when that happens in a temporal thing with a $20 check for a meal, you'll go away saying, oh, I feel so good, right? But think about your sins have been forgiven. You are really reconciled to God. I hope that you can uh, really um, uh, internalize that and recognize that. Go to the master because he has forgiven the debt. Cheshbon paid in full by the blood of the lamb. And may we do what we're supposed to do then. And that is forgive one another. You know, 
When we say, uh, oh, I'm not offended, you know, with that book, Unoffendable, the idea certainly is, is that because of what God has done for me, that's what I want to be for you, uh, you know, in life. Because when someone does something against us, in a way, uh, they are writing checks in our, in our name, you know, uh, and, uh, and so it's hurting us. When people do something against us, it's like taking something from us. And we need to do exactly what the Lord does in that sense. And that says paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. And imagine the difference that you make in someone's life when you indeed have that attitude toward them. That is what brings people to God, brings people to Messiah. And so on Yom Kippur, uh, uh, may, uh, may we recognize, may we remember our reconciliation. May we run to God and know that he will restore. He will restore when we're 100 percenters. That means that I haven't just categorized God, but I'm really running to God. You know, he will indeed transform your life. And that is what we observe. That's what we desire. That's what we thank God for. And that's what we pray in others on Yom Kippur. Amen.